You may have a seat. Amen. Amen. If you would, grab a copy of God's Word this morning. Open to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be at this morning. As you're turning to Philippians 4, I have the joy of introducing several people to you this morning. Uh, who are joining in covenant membership here at Restoration Church. And we are um, so glad um, for those individuals and what God is doing in their lives, what God is doing in our church. And so I just want to introduce them to you. Um, So Josh Bonney, if you just give a wave. There's Josh. Um, Josh got a fresh haircut for today because he knew he was going to have to wave at you. So it looks good, man. It looks good. Uh, Mike and Morgan Fountas, um, they're not even going to stand. They're just going to wave at you guys. So, yeah. Uh, Laura Pierce is sitting with them as well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then Mackenzie Trout is over there. So, um, yeah, love that. If you are interested in covenant membership here at Restoration Church, if you uh, haven't um, started in that pipeline, uh, I'd love to talk to you about that this morning um, after service and um, just share with you what that looks like here um, at Restoration. So we're thankful for new members today um, and uh, uh, excited to get them plugged in, serving, um, and really just uh, growing in the life of our church. Um, love that. So Philippians 4 is where we're going to be at this morning. We're going to look at verses 4 through 9. You can see the title, Rejoice in Whatever. Um, Now many of us, when we read that word, whatever, especially if you uh, were in school recently or you are around teenagers, uh, you kind of say whatever like sarcastically, right? Rejoice in whatever, Right. But that's not what we're talking about this morning, and, and I want to get there in just a minute. But before we uh, get to our text this morning, I want to take you back a few years, uh, June 28th of 2008. Um, for many of you, that date means absolutely nothing to you. Right? Uh, for some of us, uh, particularly me and my wife, that's the day that we got married. June 28th, right? That's the right date. Um, this happens. <laughs> Listen, this happens sometimes, Right? June 28, 2008 was a day that um, two young, immature people, babies, yes, babies who didn't listen to advice of others decided, let's get married. Um, <clears throat> we got married on June 28, 2008. By August, now listen to me, now don't jump to conclusions, Okay. By August, I was in the hospital with an ulcer. That, see, I told you not to jump to conclusions. Because you immediately thought that was because I got married, right? I was in a tumultuous job situation um, that turned very quickly. Um, but because of that job and because of the resources that we had, we decided, hey, this is a time that we can get married. Um, But those things changed rapidly. By August, I was diagnosed with a bleeding ulcer um, that I still deal with effects of today. Um, By September, I was put on a leave of absence from my job. Um, And at the the beginning of October, I was told I was no longer wanted there and I need to leave by the end of the month. So four months into marriage, I found myself without a job without a place to live, newly married. 
So we moved in with my parents. Carrie thinks this is so funny. Four months into marriage, homeless, jobless, depressed, living with my parents. And oh, by the way, we also found out we were pregnant at that time. I tell you all of that so that you remember how quickly circumstances change. Because what seems like a really good idea today, what seems like something that can be done today rapidly can change within a matter of moments. Now, thankfully, by the grace of God, he's seen us through 15 years of marriage. We now have four kids. Um, the oldest, who we found out we were pregnant with early on, is now a covenant member of the church that we've planted. God's gracious in all of that. And what I want you to hear this morning is that regardless of when circumstances change, God doesn't. So look with me at Philippians 4. Philippians 4, beginning of verse 4. The text says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we come to you in this moment as we open your word. God, we read the text and we see the command to rejoice, but oftentimes we find that difficult to do. God, would you help us to rejoice today? Regardless of the circumstances that we're in this morning, Lord, help us to rejoice. God, help us to see the beauty of who you are and what you're doing. God, we pray all of this in your sweet, perfect name. Amen. Amen. Rejoice in whatever. <clears throat> I, want, I want you to look at verse 4 here. Verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Underline that word always. Again, I will say rejoice. Just a short little verse, yet he says the word rejoice twice. Do you ever get tired of repeating yourself? Right? Like parenting, work, you just find yourself saying the same thing over and over and over again, right? But I, I want you to think about the repetition of those things. The thing that you're saying over and over and over again, are you saying it because it's a value? 
because it's something that you want the other people to know and understand and remember? Or are you just repeating yourself because your vocabulary is really small and you don't have more words? That happens sometimes, right? But when we read in the scriptures and we see repetition, it's because of the value and importance of those words and those commands. Paul is reminding the Philippians in the midst of dealing with conflict and turmoil because of the division that's, that's arising within the church, right? There, there's these, uh, these women that we looked at last week that are in disagreement about something. So they're in the midst of some turmoil within the church, and he's reminding them, rejoice. Not in your circumstances, but rejoice in the Lord, always. Again, I say, rejoice. He's repeating himself because it's of value and it's of importance. Rejoice. Here's what I think we need to understand about the repetition of this. Because Paul is saying rejoice in the midst of this disagreement that's happening in the church, right? Things, things have changed. Circumstances have changed in the life of the Philippian church. Again, we don't know what the disagreement is between these women, but we know that it has arisen, that Paul has tried to address it. He's encouraging them to reconcile. He's now telling the rest of the church, hey, encourage them, come around them to reconcile. These are fellow workers, fellow laborers in the gospel ministry. But here's what I think we need to understand, is that as those circumstances change, God doesn't. You see, it's the doctrine of what we call immutability. You write that down? I'm not going to spell it because I'll misspell it. Immutability. God's immutability means that he doesn't change. Hebrews 13.8 says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. What changes? Our circumstances. Right? What changes? Our interest. Our passions about certain things. What changes our levels of relationship and engagement with people and things that are happening around us. Everything around us changes, but God. He's immutable. Which leads me to this take-home truth. Knowing the joy giver allows us to rejoice even when circumstances say otherwise. Knowing the joy giver allows us to rejoice even when circumstances say otherwise. Listen, we can all think of certain times in our lives where it's difficult to rejoice, right? But God himself is the joy giver. God is the one who is the source of joy. He never changes, right? Which means he doesn't run out of joy. And he never changes, so he continues to give it. But we often change and walk away from the well of joy. So when we know the joy giver, it allows us to rejoice, which is the act of uh, that joy coming out of us externally. People around us experiencing joy because we're actively rejoicing. It allows us to rejoice even when the circumstances say otherwise. Right? 
Have you ever been around somebody who's experienced something really difficult in their life and they just seem to just be okay in the midst of it? They seem to still be experiencing joy because they're tapped into something that not everyone has. They know the joy giver. That's why Paul says to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Because listen, church, if you're rejoicing in your circumstances, if you're rejoicing in your possessions, when those things change and are gone, your joy goes with it. But God never leaves. He's constant. He's consistent. He never changes. But listen, your circumstances can change like that. Right? Oftentimes things that we haven't prepared for. But God never changes. God never changes. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be, <clears throat> be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's saying, listen, the Lord is near. He's not distant. He's near. He's at hand, which means the joy is close. And then he says in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Do not be anxious, but pray. Think back to the things that came to your mind when I asked you about repeating things, right? How often do we repeat things and tell people not to do something or to do something else? That's what we continue repeating, right? Oftentimes, it's the repeating of what not to do, right? Don't do that. Don't do that. No, no, right? Like parenting, how many ways can you say no? There's lots of ways. Be creative. But how often do we just stop right there? Don't do fill in the blank, right? Paul says, do not be anxious. He says, don't do that. Write this reference down, Matthew 6. Matthew 6, if you want to turn there with me. Matthew 6, 25 says this, Therefore I tell you, these are Jesus' words, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, 
which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Paul tells the Philippians, do not be anxious about anything. Jesus says to the disciples and to the crowds, don't be anxious about your life. Don't worry about the things that you're going to wear. Don't worry about the things that you're going to eat. The Father knows all that you need. And he'll provide it. See, anxiety and worry, they're similar, but they're different. Here's what I've realized in 20 years of being in the church. Being worried about things is an acceptable sin. Yet Jesus says, don't worry. Jesus says, don't worry Because the Father knows all that you need and he will provide those things. Listen, I think that's why some of us struggle with the Lord's Prayer, right? You know the Lord's Prayer? Give us what? This day our daily bread. Not our bread for retirement. Not our bread for next week, right? Not so we can have leftovers for the next three days. Our daily bread. Bread. You see, what we do oftentimes unintentionally is we think that God doesn't know what we really need, so we need to work harder and we need to set more things aside and become more consumed with those things because God the Father doesn't know what we need. He says, Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Now, listen, I'm not talking about medically diagnosed anxiety. Where some of us experience this this welling up of so much anxiousness that we don't know how to control it. Okay? Listen, I'm not saying you just need to pray more and God will take those things away. Listen, there are things that have happened to all of us in our past, in our present, may happen to us in the future, that cause us to have a chemical imbalance in our brains that won't be healed this side of heaven. But that doesn't make it a reason to say it's okay to worry and be anxious about things and not expect God to provide what we need. See, Paul says here, don't be anxious about anything. Jesus gives gives the, the detail of it. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your clothing. Don't worry about these basic needs because I'm aware of them. I'm going to take care of them. See, I love what Paul does here, which is oftentimes what we don't do, is that he gives the correction, right? 
Do not be anxious about anything. Most of the times, that's where we stop, right? We try to correct someone and we stop right there, but we don't give them the instruction to do something different. See, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. See, the correction is, don't be anxious about those things, but instead pray about those things. You see, because how much does God care for the birds of the air? And how much more does he care for those who he's created in his image and likeness? If God cares for the birds of the air, how much more will he care for his children? Don't be anxious, but pray. And pray like this. God, give us our daily bread. Protect us. Right? Let us forgive as we've been forgiven. And look at this, verse 7. Paul says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything, but instead pray with thanksgiving, right? Being thankful for the things that you've experienced, praying, asking God to provide the things that you're, you're anxious about. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He gives the gift of peace right when we know the joy giver we can rejoice even when the circumstances say otherwise and when we know the peace giver we have peace beyond all understanding that protects our hearts and our minds don't we so want that Don't we want, not just ourselves, but others around us to experience the peace of God? Peace that oftentimes is unexplainable. I, kinda, I don't understand how in the midst of this tragic circumstance I can have peace, but I know that I have peace because I know God. But Paul continues on and he gives more instruction here. Verses 8 and 9, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This last point that I want us to see just has a blank in it that you can fill in. If blank, think and practice. Whatever your circumstance is, if this happens, if this is evident in your life, if this, right, whatever the thing is, think and practice. Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Can you just circle those words? True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. 
And then he changes to the conditional if. If there is any excellence, circle excellence. If there's anything worthy of praise, circle worthy of praise. Here's, here's the instruction that he gives. Think about these things. Now listen, here's what's happened in our culture. When we talk about thinking, we begin to apply it in such a way that if we just think positive thoughts, it changes the circumstance. All right? Let me give you a name. Norman Vincent Peale. Familiar with that name? Maybe, maybe not. If you're a historical nerd, maybe. <clears throat> Norman Vincent Peale was an ordained Methodist minister. One who claimed in his early years to know and follow God and preach the gospel. But you see, he came to a place where he started thinking that thoughts were causative. So if I think a certain thing, it causes something externally to happen, right? You see, Norman Vincent Peale became the father of what became known as positive thinking theology. And by the end of his ministry, he denied that God existed, that people needed to be born again, because if you just think positively, it changes your life. And see, many of you may not know the name Norman Vincent Peale, but if I say the name Joel Osteen, do you guys know that name? Osteen is a disciple of Norman Vincent Peale. So is T.D. Jakes. Do you know those names? You see, those are the modern teachers of positive thinking theology. Let me give you another name. And oh, how we love her. Oprah. Listen, guys. Thinking positively about something doesn't change the circumstance that's in front of you. That's not truth. Because you can think positively about something and in thinking positively about it, be thinking wrong about it. Right? We need to have right theology. Paul says we need to think about these things. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, we need to think about these things. You see, it's not just positive thinking. It's knowing and saying and believing the truth. You say, well, I believe the truth, right? I believe the truth. Many people think that they believe the truth. And many of the same people who say and believe that they believe the truth operate in such a way that they may even not just practically live this, but actually say it. I don't have to come to church to be a Christian, right? right? Many of us in this room maybe have even said that. I don't have to come to church to be a Christian, right? Because where two or three are gathered, right? If I'm sitting in a deer stand, it's me, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I'm at church, right? I'm in the fishing boat, 
right? Listen. Matthew 18, where two, three are gathered in my name, there I am also. Do you know that that's about church discipline? Those people are being called out in their sin and being held accountable publicly in front of the church. Not alone in the woods with the Holy Trinity. You see, we start to believe and think, I don't have to come to church to be a Christian, which is partly true, right? Coming to church does not make you a follower of Jesus. But when you are a follower of Jesus, you believe that he is the only way, the only truth, the only life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. If you believe that, you can't ignore the commands to gather together with the body of Christ. You see, because essentially what we're saying is, is that in not coming to church, that I can still be a Christian, is to say that I can be alone, that I don't need accountability. The New Testament speaks so differently to that, right? That we need each other, that we're a part of the body of Christ, that there's many parts, right? Many members of the body. Sometimes we think positively, but think wrongly about small things, right? God's too busy to care about the small things in my life, right? God's just here for the big things. You've probably heard people say that before. Maybe you've even thought that or said it yourself, that God just cares about the big things, right? God is the one who saves. God is the one who gives me eternal life, but he doesn't care about what I need today, Right? God doesn't care about what I'm feeling right now. Wasn't it interesting that the Bible says that God knows the number of hairs on your head, even as they're falling out? Like the number is constantly changing, and God knows the number of hairs that are on your head. The truth is that God cares about the small things. That's the truth. I love this statement. Positive thinking theology. God just wants you to be, can you fill in the blank? Happy. Do you know that happy is a feeling? Have you ever been happy and sad at the same time? Not really. Can you be joyful and sad at the same time? Yeah. Happiness is something that comes and goes. Right? God cares more about your holiness than he does about your happiness. Because God says that you need to be holy like he's holy, right? That we need to know the truth. That we need to be righteous, not happy. Listen, that doesn't mean that following Jesus is boring. That doesn't mean that following Jesus is just always sad, right? It's joyful. Because when you know the joy giver, even when the circumstance changes, right? You're sad. You're angry. You're mourning the loss of something. You can still experience joy because you know the joy giver. You see, we need to think rightly about these things, not just positively. And then the last thing that 
Paul says here. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, he, he says we need to think about the right things. We need to think about truth. We need to think about honorable things. We need to think about just things. We need to think about pure things. We need to think about lovely things. We need to think about things that are commendable, things that are excellent, things that are worthy of praise. Do you know who fits all of that? Jesus. That's who we should be thinking on. And then Paul says, everything that you've heard, seen, and learned, practice those things. James says it this way in James 1.22. Write this down. James 1.22, he says, be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Don't just come to church and listen to the word. Do what it says. We need to practice these things. Not just think rightly about the truth, but because we know the truth, we practice the truth. We need to think and practice in a way that honors God. And the way that we honor Him is by rejoicing even when the circumstances say otherwise.